Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, this Memorial Day weekend, as we uh, again remember remember all the the men and women who served our country, give us the freedom that we have today to come and worship the Lord. So I'm thankful for that. There was a $274 million building that was built in L.A. It was a Walt Disney building concert hall. Some of you may have seen it in L.A. And it's, it's a glorious building and it's, uh, the top part is built with incredible stainless steel. And as the sun shines upon it, it is brilliant. Lights up the skylight and is gorgeous. The problem is, for the neighbors of this beautiful building, is that about midday, as the sun shines strongly, it blares off this glorious building into the apartments and the homes of the nearby neighbors and their condos. And it blazes so much into their buildings that the temperature will rise 15 degrees or more. They have to literally shut their curtains to to just get away from the glare and the heat, and it's still, you can feel the warmth, even with everything closed. And so obviously there came uh, some argument and contesting of the building, and Disney and the developer Frank Gehry, who created it, they had to come up with a solution, and so they got these blankets of mesh, and they put them over the stainless steel of the building to try to somehow cut down the glare of the building. It looks horrible, everybody agrees, but at least they can live comfortably again. The Lord God, in all of his glory, in all of his holiness, is about to invade the life of Moses. The Lord God longs to invade our lives with all of his holiness and his glory. And sometimes as we try to shut the curtain on that, we still feel the warmth of who he is in our lives. And my prayer for us this morning as we study Exodus is that we will allow God, through the example of Moses, to invade our lives with all of his holiness, as it just powerfully pierces our soul about who God is. On this Memorial Day weekend, that we would recognize who God is, what he's done for us. Let me pray. Father, I ask at this very moment that you would just send your glory your brilliance, your holiness into our lives. Lord Jesus, invade our condo, so to speak. Bust into our hearts in such a way that we cannot help but acknowledge you as holy. I am as Yahweh, as our creator, as our Lord. Lord, may we not leave this place without recognizing how holy you truly are. 
and that we indeed stand on holy ground. And forgive us, Father, when we think that we are not in a holy presence. Forgive us when we feel that we have the right, that we're deserving. Lord, it's all because of you that we can come into your presence. Invade our space this morning, Lord Jesus. We invite you. We ask you. May we see your glory this morning. Amen. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt had died. And the Israelites groaned uh, groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that through the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Well, we last left Moses in the desert, in the wilderness. He was a fugitive on the run as he went to Midian, to the east of the great Sinai Desert. And God pours out his amazing, beautiful grace upon this undeserving murderer. And he gives them all kinds of wonderful, beautiful things for a new start in life. Reuel, who later becomes known as Jethro, he gives them a father, a father-in-law, but one who plays a father image, who takes them in. He gives them his wife, Zipporah, his son, Gershom. Gershom, whose name means an alien over there. A son whose name would remind Moses all the time of who he was. Of his journey with the Lord, an alien over there. He receives a job as a shepherd. A new start. And God has big plans for Moses. But this wilderness time is a time of preparation. 
a time to allow God to do a work in Moses' life. The book of Acts in chapter 7 of Acts tells us that it was 40 years from his flight from Midian to his encounter with the burning bush. 40 years. For us, half of a lifetime. There's some wonderful quotes that speak to Moses' life. One is, Moses was 40 years in the Egypt, in Egypt, learning to be something. 40 years in the wilderness, learning to be nothing. 40 years wandering in the desert with the Israelites, proving God to be everything. This is the journey of Moses. How does his life apply to ours? As God takes us and reminds us of who we are and allows the Lord's life to be shown that his glory is manifest through us. And the truth is, Moses spent two years for every one year of ministry. It's a lot of life of preparing to be used of God. Will you allow God to prepare you? Will you allow him to invade your life as he longs for you to be useful and have purpose and meaning in this life? And our loving Lord wanted to use this fugitive to deliver Israel out of slavery. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Oh, how God longs to enter in with you, no matter where you're at this morning, because nothing will separate you from his love. And so if you're like me, you go, what happened in those 40 years? The scripture doesn't give us much, does it? What happened as every day he was feeding sheep and trying to find water and and life for them, tending the flock. Forty years of this. How did he learn to serve God in those 40 years? Well, I think of a few situations he was in. One was his living situation. He was in the wilderness. The Midianites were nomads. They were known for knowing the land and going about from place to place. And his life was about daily necessity. I just need food for the day. I just need to find water for my sheep. I myself just need a little food for the day. That is your focus as a shepherd. He learned about the wilderness, which is a good thing, isn't it? The topography and the geography. And as he led his people out of Egypt, he would know how to find water and where to lead his people back to God's mountain. You need people who know where they're at. Moses, I think, learned alienation as he walked day by day by himself. I think as he struggled with who he was in the desert. I was a prince once. Who am I now? He learned 
to be an outcast. He learned to identify with God's people in their suffering in those 40 years in the wilderness. It's interesting in the wilderness what takes place throughout the scriptures. In the wilderness, Jacob saw the stairway to heaven, did he not? Elijah heard a still, small voice as God spoke to his heart and said, why are you hiding in this cave? I have more for you. John the Baptist preached repentance in the wilderness. Jesus won his first triumph over the enemy in the wilderness. Paul, as he was on the road to Damascus, was converted as God radically got a hold of his life. And then right away, after that, instead of being one who would be out there and look at all that God taught me, look who I am, I have the answers. The scriptures teach us that Paul went to Arabia, the wilderness, where I think God taught him much. God seems to do some of his greatest work in our lives in the wilderness. Are you there today? Are you there this morning, this last week, these last months, and you go, God, I am stuck in the desert. And if you are, I would hope the Holy Spirit would just change your thinking around a little bit and say that this is a place where God is speaking to me in a still small voice and allow God to minister to your soul there. That God has a hold of you in the wilderness. Moses learned to serve God through his family situation. He had a wife and a son. And for any of us who have family and are raising up children and are loving our wives, we're learning to be servant leaders. Learning what it means to give value, to love our wife, learning what it means to raise up our children in godliness. You'd have to be a callous man not to care about such things. And so God gave him family to recognize his heartbeat as a father, as one who loves. You know, the Midianites at the time, they seemed to worship one true God. Reuel means friend of God. Jethro has an idea of his excellency. He was a priest. And so there was some form of a worship of God in his midst. So through his family, God was teaching him. And lastly, I think we can see that Moses learned to serve God with his work situation. How humbling for Moses. The scriptures teach us in Genesis 46, all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Not only does God take him out from being a prince, but he puts him in the most detestable job you could imagine to an Egyptian mind. God is breaking Moses, and he breaks us as well. But he gives him the heartbeat of who God is. Psalm 100, 
We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And Moses learned how to feed and how to defend and how to rescue and how to care for the sheep. Scriptures teach us, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He learned the heart of God for his sheep, the people of Israel. A lot of preparation in 40 years. What is God doing in your life, preparing you? In that 40 years, it was for Moses' life work, wasn't it? the rest of his life to be serving God, to be hearing from him, to be begging God, help, I don't know how to do this. Lead me. Show me how to lead. Show me how to serve you. I want to. And so truly, whatever your situation is today, this very moment, this this hour, I think we have to ask the question, what is God teaching me in my present day situation? And are you open to all that he has for your life in the middle of what might be a time of preparation? And how long that will last, I do not know. But that God is at work in the middle of it, I know that is true for sure. Because your life is valuable to him, you dear children of God, me, child of God. We are together, his beloved What's the work he's doing within us? Am I open to him invading my life with his holiness? The great John Wesley has this to say. A prayer. I am no longer my own but yours, O God. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to your doing. Put me To your suffering, let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought down low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Can that be our prayer this morning? Anything you want of me, God, here I am. As Moses was going through his journey of 40 years, we can't forget about Egypt. We can't forget about the Israelites. The scriptures teach us in Genesis it would be 400 years of struggle and slavery. But these last 40, as Moses has been shepherding sheep, the Israelites continued, did they not, to make brick and to be beaten and to be abused and to be killed. Incredible suffering just between verses 22 and 23. It had been a long time. Nobody knew that more than the Hebrews in Egypt. The king of Egypt had died, Pharaoh. 
It's interesting how God works in situations that are relevant. The old Pharaoh was after Moses, was he not? I'm going to take you out. That Pharaoh had died. Isn't it interesting God's timing of things? An open door had come for Moses to be able to step back into Egypt, for him to return. But there was a long suffering in the meantime. And I'm sure as the Israelites slaved every day, like you and I, as we have our times in the wilderness, we go, God, where in the world are you? Do you hear my cry as my child suffers daily? And we don't have answers. How do we help? We go, God, where are you? We struggle with God's timing. We want him to step in now. And we can't figure out why he won't, why he doesn't. But the truth is, the only place to turn, like the Israelites did finally, is to cry out to God and say, God, help. I have nowhere else to turn. I have nobody that can answer these questions. There is not the greatest physician in the world that can heal this situation, except for you, O God. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. This is the only place we can go. And so if we are in the wilderness this month, this morning, this year, continue that cry out to God. Because here's what the scriptures show us about our loving Lord, even though maybe it doesn't feel loving because his timing is not ours. And in that too, we go, Lord, help us understand your timing because we don't. But God heard and he remembered. The author teaches us he remembered. Did he forget? Never. It felt like, though, it finally happened that God came to recall what was going on. He never forgot. And thank God he did remember his covenant. Because I think the Israelites, and like we do often, we forget. We forget God's covenant with us. When you accepted Jesus Christ, we are his people. He is our God. Remember the covenant out of Genesis with Abraham. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless your descendants. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Like the stars your offspring shall be, you will inhabit a promised land that I have prepared for you. That was God's covenant. You see, we have a covenant-making God. And you know what the good news about that is? He cannot break his covenant. Why does he keep pursuing us radically? Those of us who have said, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life, because he's a covenant-keeping God. When we try to break relationship with him, he can't help but keep pursuing us. That's who he is. 
The Israelites, although they may have forgotten, he had not. You are my people. I am your God. And he will keep coming after. He remembers. There's a beautiful thing about remembering, about God remembering. It has the idea of the great reversal of life. It's the idea that God is about to take action. Things are going to change. God is involved in our lives. In Genesis 8, as Noah faced the flood, it says, God remembered his covenant with Noah, and the waters receded. And the rainbow is a sign of covenant God will see the rainbow and he will remember the everlasting covenant between God and his people. You know, I I always thought for many years that the rainbow, although beautiful and we praise God for it, and we go, ah, this this is a reminder of the time when God gave life and said, I will no longer wash over all my people with flood. I will never destroy them like that again. And we think it's to remind us. God says it's a sign to remind me who I am. There's got to be a rainbow every day in this world somewhere, isn't there? And God going, oh, my beautiful people, I'll never take you out like that. I'm a covenant-making God. And this sign, and I will see it, and I'll remember It will bring to mind who I am with my people. Look at the action of God in these first verses. The action is he hears his people. It gives me the idea of he's close. The only action we've seen in Exodus so far is that he blessed the women for their faithfulness to him as as they saved the children. But now we see an act of God stepping in. He hears us. He hears those cries of ours. We're not talking to the air. This is a God who invades our world. Advent. A God who sent his son so he could have a relationship with us. A God who hears. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their cry. It's not like when we just talk at each other and we nod our heads and pretend we're listening. God doesn't do that with us. He hears us and he's attentive to our cry. And it said God hears us and God remembers. God keeps his covenant. God saw He is aware of everything that is going on in our lives right this second. He's aware of the fact that you might have a splitting migraine headache right now. He's aware of the fact that that your child is hurting. Maybe was up sick all night. He's right there with your child along with you. He's aware that one of your parents might be going home to the Lord soon and the grief of that loss. He sees all of that, and he's in all of that. 
And then the NIV says God was concerned. It's a terrible translation. It just feels like, yeah, well, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> that's too bad. The word there is yada in the Hebrew. It's God saw and God knows. And it's that same word of Adam and Eve as they knew each other, that intimate, beautiful connection. I know deeply where you are at. I know deeply the pain that you're going through. I feel it to the core of my bones and my soul, and I know. I know. It truly is like a father who, or mother, parent, who suffers with their children. I feel like we suffer more as our children are hurting. It's the image that God wants to give us. I know you hurt today. I know. I'm involved. I see what's going on. I will take action because I am a holy God. I am a lover of your soul. I will not let you go this journey alone. I know. And here's the beautiful thing. God shows up. Again, we cry out and we go, God, where are you? But the truth is, in all of Scripture, God shows up. And he will in our lives. Even when we go, where are you now? He will show up. He will speak to your soul. He shows up in this burning bush fire. And that fire revealing the very being of God, the pure one. The one who purifies us. The one who is nothing but holiness. Deuteronomy 4.24, the Lord our God is a consuming fire. The idea again that he cleanses, purifies. That the Israelites were led by fire and by a cloud. And Elijah, as he battled the Baal prophets, do you remember that on Mount Carmel? And the Baal prophets just danced and chatted and cut themselves and they tried to to get their worship to be caught up, to be burned, and nothing happened. And Elijah mocked them because he knew his God. And Elijah called upon God on the fire of God, and the fire of God came down and consumed the offering and says, licked it up to the last drop. There was no water remaining. And here, as God shows up, Moses stands in the presence of the holy. The first time we see the Bible use the word holy Beautiful, awesome, powerful. But it has the idea of the one who is set apart. I am like no other. As we'll see next week, all of the gods of Egypt, Ra and all of the ones, the sun gods, the beetle gods, I am set apart. I am different. I am holy. I am the one true God. All these other things that you worship are nothing in comparison to me. 
I am called to be. I am creator. And there is a distinction between creator and creation. And may we not forget that. Hosea 11, I am God and I am not man. I am the Holy One among you. How do we respond to a holy God? How do we respond to this one who invades our life with all that he is, the great I am, as he comes into our lives? What do we do with him? Sometimes we exaggerate our own holiness. We are good, we think. There's even a little memorial in town that says we are good at heart. That's the opposite of Scripture. Oh, we are wicked at heart. We're not good. We need a Savior. But we try to exaggerate our holiness and think we are. We're following the rules. We're trying to be nice. And we try to keep doing things that are right. But the trouble is we're not good. The trouble is we can't do enough. There is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3. Sometimes we, in the face of holiness, we minimize God's holiness. We lower his standards. You know, God has said we can be, call him, Jesus says, we can call him friend. We can pray, Abba, Daddy. But do you understand? He's inviting us into presence with him. He's inviting us to enter in. He has opened the door for us to do that. And yet sometimes we take the reverence of that and we just throw it out. Is God just your buddy? Is that who he is? Truly, I think I get too casual with God sometimes. I don't know about you. Hey, God, how's it going? I am. We should all be on our faces, really. We get casual with God. You know what, church, honestly, even for me, it gets casual sometimes. This is what God set up, our gathering together as saints, to come and to give glory and honor and reverence to God, our, our opportunity to worship together. And we go, I hope I can make it. I'm not sure if it fits into my schedule. We show up not really even thinking much about the morning. I find myself sometimes as as teacher up here, I, I you know, I'm kind of looking through my notes sometimes as we're giving worship to God and the Holy Spirit's like, What are you doing, Richie? Should have had that ready to go. And it is, but you know what I mean? You're just kinda you're preoccupied. Come into the presence of the Holy. God's not our buddy. He is the Holy One, Creator, who has allowed us to come into His presence because of His Son. May we never just kick dirt on the Holy One. May we remember holy ground. A.W. Tozer says, 
I tell you this, I want God to be what God is. The impeccably holy, the all-holy one. I want him to remain the holy. I want his heaven to be holy and his throne to be holy. I don't want him to change to modify his requirements just for us. I want something holy left in this universe. How do we come into the presence of a holy God? And the only way we can is to become holy through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why God sent his Son. Christ is our holiness and our redemption, Corinthians tells us. We can never keep God's law. And Jesus has kept him in perfect holiness. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. And God longs for us to be in relationship with him. He has an unbreakable love for his unholy people. God hears, God knows with a deep knowledge. I have called you by name. You are mine, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. As we step before the burning bush, may we recognize we are on hallowed ground but that he's made a a way for us to have life with him. And he's inviting us to relationship with him. And he has come down to rescue us out of slavery to sin. And he gave us his son, not only to save us, but to bring us into a land of milk and honey, to bring us into his presence now on earth, and forever. Amen? Let me pray as we enter into communion. Lord Jesus, as we think of this memorial weekend, Lord, forgive us. We we take you for granted too often. We take for granted your holiness We take for granted who you are in our lives. And as we remember this morning, may we remember as as we remember the men and women who died for us for freedom, that you, Lord Jesus, came. You heard our cry. And you have died for us for freedom from our sin as we believe upon you. It is holy ground as we take communion, Father, and as we remember you. And Lord, we acknowledge you as Holy One this morning, as Creator, as I Am, as Lord of our lives, as Savior, as Redeemer, as the one who gives us life and delivers us into the promised land. We remember. Thank you for this time of communion, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.